you're looking for a better way of managing your Dynamics 365 or Power Platform requirements in Azure DevOps, join me with Danny Cahill in episode 100 of Amazing Applications. Welcome to the Amazing Apps Show for Microsoft business applications creators who want to make amazing, agile, Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications that everyone will love. Hi, how's it going? I'm Neil Benson, and your host for episode 100 of The Amazing Apps Show. Just celebrated my 16th wedding anniversary to my amazing wife, Natasha. We had a blissful weekend without the kids in Noosa, and last night, as we were falling asleep, do you know what she whispered in my ear? How oh, do I listen to podcasts? Do I find them on YouTube? Although <laughs> I've been podcasting for over three years now and produced, well, this is my 100th episode. My wife has never listened to a single one. Maybe that's why we're still so happily married. But I'm glad you're here and I'm grateful to have you in the audience for this podcast. Special thanks to John Borden and Olena Krushenko for generously supporting the show through the show's Buy Me a Coffee page. I really appreciate it. You can support the show too by visiting amazingapps.show and either subscribing to the email list, uh, buying a t-shirt, leaving a review, or buying me a coffee. Let's get into this episode with Danny Cahill. Danny is a freelance Dynamics 365 solutions specialist based in the Gold Coast which is just down the road from me here in Queensland. He is a two-time Microsoft Business Apps MVP and well-known for both his colourful shirts and his colourful solution architecture models. Danny's presenting at DynamicsCon in a couple of weeks. I invited him onto the show to discuss his presentation topic, Managing Dynamics 365 Requirements in Azure DevOps. And a quick apology, I had left on the receiver for my wireless mic, so there was a little interference on my wired mic in my interview with Danny, I cleaned it up as best I can, but the important thing is that Danny sounds great. Here he is. Danny, welcome back to the Amazing Applications Show. It's great to have you back on the show for a second time. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, thank you. And great to have you again and talking to you. You were with us on episode 54. It was actually July 2020 when you were sharing with us a case study of Lives Lived Well, one of your local clients where you had done an amazing job and they were a really happy Dynamics 365 customer. This time you're coming back to talk to us about your presentation coming up at Dynamics Con in a couple of weeks. The title of your presentation is Best Practices to Manage D365 Requirements in Azure DevOps. So, fascinating subject, very close to my heart. Looking forward to hearing all about it. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Neil. And look, let's see if I can respond to all your tricky questions. Well, <laughs> so I do love a good requirement and I'm a big fan of managing those in an, a backlog like Azure DevOps. Most of my projects have been using Jira recently. Jira is maybe more popular here in Australia than elsewhere because Atlassian is a big Australian software company. Um, but I'm curious and I'd love to build up my expertise on Azure DevOps. So I'm definitely going to be tuning into your session. First of all, I'd like to ask you, why use Azure DevOps? Let's start there because I see requirements, particularly with Microsoft customers, they give us their requirements in a spreadsheet, often as part of a request for a proposal. What's wrong with just managing requirements in a spreadsheet, Danny? Why use Azure DevOps at all? Yeah. Thank you, Neil. I guess, look, you, you can use a spreadsheet, but the, the problem that you often get is 
But that spreadsheet will kind of grow with columns and hundreds of lines of requirements with comments everywhere, with colors everywhere. It's Excel, so it might sometimes take a bit of time to load. If it's huge, how do you manage? It's so open with all the columns, you can do whatever you want. The filtering as well of the columns doesn't help. So actually during the session at, at Dynamics.com, I'm sharing, sharing a story. It's almost covering a story that happened to me where a client started using an Excel spreadsheet and then what happened. So I won't reveal the whole story. So tune in uh, and then you will see why I then recommended Azure DevOps. There is a full explanation. So oh. you will get the other part of the answer, Neil, at my session. Great. <laughs> Give me another excuse to, to watch. Uh, when do you think is an appropriate time to capture requirements? Do you think, particularly in a procurement scenario, there's a tendency to try and capture all the requirements up front? Is that still a good practice or is capturing the requirements during the development process where those requirements are emerging as you build mm -hmm. features. Is that a better practice? Have you got a strong opinion either way? I like to have at least the high level requirements. So in terms of structuring and, and how those requirements work, at least for me, right? Where I like to have at least a high level idea of, uh, let's call it epics, kind of the big items that the solution is about, right? If you're going to implement a case management system, it's managing cases, it's knowledge management, it's maybe queue management, it's portal, those big items. What is the big epic that we need to, to implement? And then having a level down, which is the level in Azure DevOps, you have epics, I use features, features, which is more. So epics would be, I would use the business translation of the requirements. So a customer portal in dynamics that would be perhaps portal, maybe virtual agent and so forth. So I would at least go to that second level if possible. The level of user stories is probably two months before, uh, at least two sprints before we, we build. I, I need the user stories to be, to be ready, agreed. I mean, I'm using and I will be writing probably an article about that, the definition of ready, which is kind of a little bit of a key on the project where I'm in now, where is effectively a, a, a user story. It's going from his infant scene to being ready to being built by the team. There is a bit of a process and that step where it goes from in analysis to, so to speak, to in dev, it's what I call the definition of ready. So I guess having the definition of ready to respond to your question would be at least two sprints before the build start. That would be right. how I typically try to do. I'm the same. I like to have a, a little bit of a buffer of requirements that are mm. ready for development. Quite often though, the way our teams sprint, it, the analysts are having to work really hard to build up that buffer and then stay ahead of the developers. I always picture the developers like hungry little chicks in the bird's nest, or they just cheap, 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 they want more requirements and the, the analysts have to go out and find the worms to drop into the nest and feed the hungry birds. I like that idea of having a two month backlog of ready requirements. Mm -hmm. This is the challenge I've got with one of my current clients. One of the parts of being ready is that the user story has to be approved yeah. by all of our stakeholders. I'm not a big fan of, of an approval step. We yeah. are supposed to have a product owner who's got the ultimate say, yeah. and she should be able to approve on her own any yeah. of the user stories in the product backlog. What do you, you must have had clients like that as well. What do you think of an approval process in the middle of your requirements analysis? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And in a matter of fact, it's definitely something 
that we recommend is, and we have dealt in the past with project with multiple product owners, which is, is tricky, very, very tricky, but it always takes time, right? It takes time to coach kind of the client and explain the reason why. And it's a learning experience. We say, you, you see how long it takes. Let's take one product owner. It's fine if you take a few days to check with everyone in your team, if that makes sense, but you need the one that needs to be able to make the decision fast enough for us to move. So I guess one product owner, what, what I usually have is in Azure DevOps is, and I'll cover that in the session as well, how I manage that, but I use either the, it's not really a state, I use a flag. I will reveal one of the secrets of the session that I will cover, but <laughs> I, use, I use a flag called product owner review on my stories. And whether that is for reviewing the story to accept it, to move to dev, or if it's for a story to be reviewed while it's almost finished and we want to start putting in UAT, I, I flag it for the product owner. I showed you this, have a quick read at the story if that makes sense so that they can quickly filter that. So I guess that approval, a formal approval would just be for me, the product owner accepting the story to move to dev. Everything in Azure DevOps is an item, is that right? Because everything in Jira is called an issue. You have different issue types, but I think in Azure DevOps are called items. So a user story is a type of item. Yeah. Uh, you can have others as well. What, what do you recommend folks use in Azure DevOps for different item types? There are a few process that you can choose from. Uh, instead of, so it is the, the Agile, the Scrum. I use the Agile one and tweak it a bit with my, with a few, a few new items if I need to. Like I definitely use epics, features, user story, task. I go to the level of task where task is to assign items to my team members most of the time or task to myself. So I have a user story and the user story consists of configuring the scheduling board. Well, one user we create, maybe one of my uh, developers will kind of work on the view to make it work. The other one will work maybe on the filtering options. So I create specific tasks for them and we can also track those tasks. I've used as well bugs, definitely. So you have your test plan, test suites. It's usually one consultant, one tester really building those out. What else do we use? You can create your own items. So I've used, for example, in the past, a document, a document item, because I find in Azure DevOps, you attach attachments into the items. And it's a little bit tricky. The problem is each time you want to make a change, if it's a Word document, each time you may want to make a change to that document, you have to download it and re-upload it again, right? So it's not flexible enough, especially if you have mapping tables, Excel spreadsheet right. with mapping between an event needs to create, a, a case needs to create an event, and you have mapping fields. You want to maintain that to kind of continue on working on that somehow. It's terrible if you use the standard Azure DevOps. So what I did in the past is I created an item called documents. And then in that document, I have a link, for example, to a SharePoint, yeah, uh, real file, if that makes sense. You can also add your own fields in items. So now for another client, I have a field called document location, and then I use that document location right. to point to the correct document. So there is various way of, of dealing with that, but those would be the items I use. So I would also use spikes and chores. I think a chore and a task are very similar, but I don't use tasks in the same way that you do. I don't mm. use subtasks under a story. I have used them in the past. I just didn't find them useful enough. Yeah. And we would always have tasks like 
analyze the requirements, develop yeah. the feature, test the feature, deploy the feature into staging. It's yeah. Just very repetitive, little tiny waterfall under every user's Yeah, team. yeah, yeah. Uh, it just wasn't adding enough value to us. And some teams even go to the additional effort of estimating those subtasks often in, in hours yeah. in order to figure out their capacity in a sprint. I just think that's a whole exercise in futility. I keep it at this story level, but I might be on my own in there. But that's, that is how that Azure DevOps work for your sprints, right? If you want to estimate your capacity for a sprint, it's the hours that you put at the task level. The whole right. sprint in Azure DevOps follow that way. There is no other way almost. Of doing yeah, it. You, you talked about the different processes in Azure DevOps. I think the Scrum process, at least a couple of years ago when I tried it, it was very much configured for the use of subtasks underneath user stories. And so I didn't use the Scrum process in Azure DevOps, my Scrum projects. I used the Agile process, which was a little bit more flexible and didn't insist on having uh, subtasks. How do you handle defects in Azure DevOps? I just had one of my team members today, the quality analyst, asking me if we want to track defects in a user story before it's done. So it's being developed this sprint. It's got kind of to the end of the development and the tester is testing it and he's found an issue. Should he create a defect and we track that in our scrum board or do we just make some comments under the user story and maybe put it back a stage in the development process? How do you prefer to handle defects during development? Yeah, look. During development, so you're not talking about any, any user testing, you're really talking about bugs raised during the dev, right? Within the team, yeah. Usually it's a comment, to be fair. It's a comment yeah. in the story. And if it's something bigger, I might ask my team member to say, look, if it's something bigger, I need a bit of time to kind of think about it or another team member to spend some time. Maybe that it's worth creating then a bug. As soon as it moves to UAT or outside of the dev process, we create bugs, even for small ones. It's bugs yeah. and it's assigned back to the, the backlog and then we work on them. But yeah. doing the dev process, yeah, it's a little bit more flexible. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I like to keep it lightweight during the development process. Do you estimate the effort it's going to take to resolve a bug or how do you handle estimation around bugs? No, we don't. No. I mean, if it would be a big one, I'm trying to think of a situation. I don't think so. No, we yeah. have, I've never estimated bugs. I'm the same. I think some people like to do it from a capacity planning point of view again, yeah. but what I like to do is leave them unestimated. I don't estimate spikes or chores either. Yeah. If we need to work on a lot of defects, a lot of spikes, a lot of chores, we just reduce our story point forecast for that sprint. Normally, let's say we can go at 40. Well, we've got a lot more defects than usual. Let's only do 30 points of yeah. new user stories and we'll see how many of the defects we can get through. And the danger of estimating, particularly defects, is you're kind of double counting the work, right? I did the five point story and it had a bug. The bug was two points. Have I just delivered seven points worth of work? Not really. I should have done it in five. That was yeah. the estimate. So if your velocity calculation includes the effort spent on bugs, then you're double counting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. What else can we expect to see in your presentation, Danny? I'm covering mostly how I, I structure requirements. Uh, so a bit what I shared with you here, but in more details about my, my epics features, how I like to capture them. Because when I capture requirements, there's a bit of a life cycle of requirements. It goes from very small and 
very little details to kind of the steps in the lifetime of, of that user story. What I'm going, going a little bit more into the details in Azure DevOps, which fields I use specifically on the user story, right? Which field when there is a great section about uh, the discussion section that we use can be overused sometimes. So you have to be careful because otherwise you lose track of things, but it's a great way of, of everyone kind of interacting on a, on a user story. So I'm covering that as well. And then, yeah, generally the life cycle of that user story and how I use additional tips, let's say tips in Azure DevOps. And I won't share more in this oh, one today. Oh, <laughs> oh, keep me hanging. Okay. Um, I'm always curious about people who present things like their, their tools, Azure DevOps at conferences. Are you using a real Azure DevOps in one of your projects? Do you have a, a client's permission to be able to do that? Or do you have to fake some requirements in Azure DevOps in order to show screenshots and screencasts within your presentation? How do you handle it? Yeah, I have my own. I have my own where, because look, I write things around requirements in Azure DevOps and I experiment with things. So I have my Azure DevOps. You're right. I, I've spent, it's an effort that I had to do. That it's, it's a small effort that I have to do over a long period of time. I had already my stories. I played with them. I tweaked them the way I wanted. I kind of experimented with them. And then it's there. It's ready. I can use it. I can show it. So it was not really build everything from scratch. But no, I'm not showing any live customer data. Well, yeah. I won't be able to. You talked there about the level of detail that's in a, a requirement. Especially if you're coming from a a background of writing big requirement specifications, there is a temptation for a user story to become a mini specification. There's attachments and there's screenshots and yeah. there's charts in Excel. Then you go and add some uh, behavior-driven development scenarios, mm. BDD scenarios, and then there's a whole bunch of acceptance criteria. And suddenly, if you printed it out, it would be dozens of pages. What do you think is the appropriate level of detail? to capture yeah. a requirement in Azure DevOps. Yeah. Look, I, I use the concept of, of acceptance criteria where when I talk to my product owner and my BA, when, when they don't have a lot of experience, I would say, think about the rules that will make that story satisfy you when it goes for you to test and when it goes live. What are the rules, right? Give me a few of those bullet points, but the, the, the idea is not really, as you said, to have a specification document, then if my story becomes too big, I split it. I split it in two, three stories, become smaller ones, and it's kind of e easier. We can handle it easier. Any documents that needs to go with the story, as I told you, is I would store it in a separate SharePoint or Teams folder and point it there, right? For example, there is a, a bullet point saying mapping between, as I said, case to event to the field is in that Excel spreadsheet, and then you can open it. I don't store it in the acceptance criteria, if that makes yeah. sense. And what if you talk about stories getting split? Can they get too small, a field level change or something? How do you handle those? No. Do you bundle them up into a bigger story later? Yeah, I, ne I never go to just one field, Neil. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. That would drive you crazy. Yeah, no, definitely not. The theory says it has to be a feature of, of its own, right? Uh, look, I like to to try to follow a little bit the INVEST acronym, right? Where independent, negotiable, and so forth. And I think there is one way it's 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 valuable. It has to it has to provide a little bit of value. Adding a simple feel 
for me doesn't doesn't bring the, the value. So it's it's more about creating a case. Let's let's take the example of the case, creating a case or I'm not even sure I would create one for create and edit, to be fair. I would maybe consider them both create and edit cases. And then if there is something specific in editing a case that requires a story, for example, managing knowledge articles in that case, yeah, I would create another story, manage articles in your case, right? And I will add a few acceptance criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Strictly, strictly to explain, but I know it's the, it's the art, right? It's not a science. You have to get some experience at it and find out what works for you and your team. Yeah. One final question for you, Danny, then we'll let you go. Who writes the user stories in your projects? Is it the product owner who's the, the business person with the experience of the business domain who's in charge of the application? Or have they delegated the responsibility to a business analyst who maybe knows a little bit more about dynamics, who has some experience writing and capturing requirements? How do you find that responsibility split up in your projects? Yeah, it's it's again very dependent of, of project, right? I've, I haven't seen really product owners writing stories. I, I haven't come across that yet. They either have a BA that works with them and helps them with that, a BA that knows how to understand Agile, understand how to write user stories, so they will help them that. It happens in the past where we worked with very new client to to. IT projects and even Agile, where we we guided them through, where I wrote some, based on the discussions, I wrote the story and presented it to them. Look, is this correct? This is how you write the story. This is the acceptance criteria. Does that make sense? And it took a few months for them to kind of understand and get familiar with that. So I sometimes do the work, but they are responsible and they approve the story, right? So it happens. It also happened on bigger projects where you suddenly lose your BA and then they have to find a new BA. So we say, look, I will help the product owners. I will take over, write some stories with them the time that you guys bring another BA. So it's again, very, very flexible and agile in, in a way and dependent of the project. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be the same. Your experience mirrors mine exactly. And I think that's a hallmark of business applications projects that we're working with business people who are thrust into the role of product owner. And they've probably never been a product owner before. They've never had a background as a business analyst. Whereas I think some other scrum teams work with a professional product manager and they write their own requirements. The business people that we work with don't have that background, don't have that skill, and are pretty happy to delegate it to a business analyst in the team. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. So, Danny, just to recap once again, you're on at 9 a.m. It's uh, U.S. Eastern on Monday, the 20th of September. People can register at dynamicscon.com for free yeah. and catch up with Danny. And he'll be available on chat, I think. Danny, Absolutely. Maybe, what time of the day have you got to get up in? I think it's okay. 11, but I'll be, I'll be in the chat. So oh, 11 p.m., that's not so bad. I thought it was going to be like 2 a.m. or something. No, that's not so bad. I think they did it in yeah. purpose, so that's good. Uh, thank you, Dynamicscon for th- thinking about us. So I think they did it in purpose, which is great, yeah. where I'll be online responding to the question in the chat. So really don't hesitate to ask a question in the chat. I'll be there. And then I think at the end, I'm live 10 minutes to respond to some of the questions. Great stuff. Good. I, I can't wait to tune in. What else have you got going on? How else can people get hold of you if they want to connect with you? I'm quite active on LinkedIn. That's probably the, the social platform where that's probably the only platform where I'm active. You can find my blogs there. Well, Danny, thank you so much for joining me on Amazing Applications. And we look forward to hopefully having you back for a third time pretty soon. Thank you, Neil. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for listening to the Amazing Apps podcast. 
you can join the show's mailing list at amazingapps.show. You'll get a personalized welcome video from yours truly and a notification when there's a new episode available. There are also shortcuts so you can follow the show on all major podcast players. And you can follow Amazing Apps Show on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can send me a message or a voicemail if you'd like your question answered on a future episode and even support the show through Buy Me A Coffee or by buying an Amazing Apps t-shirt. Visit amazingapps.show. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate you. Until next time, take care and keep sprinting.